Okay, so there is a lot to say about my first Letter P musical. And the first time I heard anything from this musical was back in January of 1986, when Steve Harley and Sarah Brightman sang the theme from Phantom of the Opera by Andrew Lloyd Webber. And this became a number one hit in the UK charts because Andrew Lloyd Webber had done this so many times before he'd released music before a show was produced. We already know about the concept albums for Jesus Christ Superstar and Evita. And here he goes again with a song which I absolutely loved and the music video as well, which is famous. Of course, when the show ultimately opened in the West End, I was disappointed that Steve Harley wasn't in the production, but it was a phenomenal success and a hit. So, The Phantom of the Opera. It's based on a novel by Gaston Leroux, basically The Phantom of the Opera novel, about this hideously disfigured phantom who haunts the Paris Opera House and he's enraptured and obsessed by the young opera singer Christine Daae. It's a gorgeous romantic story and it really is the grandest most romantic score that Andrew Lloyd Webber has worked on with lush melodies and lyrics as well. Originally written by Richard Stilgo who had worked with Andrew Lloyd Webber on Starlight Express, but then quite a lot of those lyrics were changed and a young unknown lyricist called Charles Hart stepped in and wrote pretty much the lyrics for the entire show in about three months. And uh, Charles Hart did work with Andrew Lloyd Webber again on the less successful aspects of love. It really is a beautiful score, Phantom of the Opera. Not to be confused with two or three other musical adaptations of this famous story. One of them by the super talented Maury Yeston, simply called Phantom, uh, released in 1989. The show has songs including Masquerade, Prima Donna, Think of Me, all I ask of you, the music of the night, absolutely gorgeous. Interestingly, Andrew Lloyd Webber asked Tim Rice first if he would like to work with him. Uh, and Tim was working on a new project of his own at the time called Chess. So he wasn't available. And so actually Andrew Lloyd Webber spoke to Jim Steinman, who he would ultimately work with on Whistle Down the Wind. And Alan J. Lerner, who was interested, but because of poor health, had to withdraw. And that's when he approached Charles Hart and Richard Stilgo. The West End production was staged by the incredible Hal Prince. And of course, it was staged in this grand opera style, superb staging all smoke and mirrors with an incredible set design and costumes by Maria Bjornsson and Gillian Lynn, 
the famous choreographer did all of the musical movement for the show. What a great team. Cameron McIntosh co-produced with Andrew Lloyd Webber's really useful theatre company. And the show was a really huge success in the West End. It was nominated for five Olivier Awards and won three. It won Best New Musical, Best Actor in a Musical for Michael Crawford and Most Popular Show. And of course, Michael Crawford was a fantastic and original Phantom of the Opera. So this is a really good point to talk about the wonderful Michael Crawford. Now, he was famous at the time of Phantom of the Opera, especially in the UK, for his buffoonish comic role as Frank Spencer in the television comedy series Some Mothers Do Have Them. And he was hysterically funny in this, and I remember a lot of it came from his physical comedy as well. And uh, he had been cast in the 1967 film of Hello, Dolly. Again, because Gene Kelly, who was directing the film, had seen Michael Crawford on Broadway. Actually, Crawford's Broadway debut in a play called Black Comedy. And Gene Kelly had been struck by the physical comedy of uh, Michael Crawford. So... Many of the roles that Michael had were similar in the sense of he was funny and they were based on that physicality. He starred in the 1974 Billy, which was uh, written by John Barry and Don Black. And I have to say that I love the um, album for this. I've had this for years, actually, and used to play it on vinyl. It had a great cast, including Gay Soper, Diana Quick and our very own Elaine Page. And uh, there are some wonderful songs in Billy, including one of my all-time favourite show songs, Some of Us Belong to the Stars. In 1979, uh, Michael Crawford was in Flowers for Algernon. And in 1981, just, just prior really to Phantom, he was starring as... P.T. Barnum in Cycle Coleman and Michael Stewart's new musical of Barnum, for which Michael Crawford won an Olivier Award. And I saw Michael when he toured in Manchester at the Opera House, and I'll never forget him sliding across the audience at the end on um, a wire shooting right over the audience onto the stage. So when Michael Crawford was cast in Phantom of the Opera, there was a huge kind of um, gasp or intake of breath in the UK because we were used to him being clownish and charismatic and razzle-dazzle and we hadn't heard him sing in the way and the style that we would hear from Phantom of the Opera. So the cast for the original West End production of Phantom of the Opera with Michael Crawford was also Sarah Brightman, the incredible soprano who had already been uh, in Cats in the West End. She had a solid musical theatre and dance set of credentials and was known 
uh, as a pop singer. She'd been in Arlene Phillips' Hot Gossip, the very sexy dance troupe, and actually had had a single out called Starship Trooper, which I bought on 45, actually. I remember it very well. So Sarah Brightman, uh, married to Andrew Lloyd Webber, but actually the perfect casting choice for Christine Daae. And along with Sarah was the fabulous Claire Moore, because the role for Christine is usually a double um, casting. So there are two people, one person would do maybe two or three of the performances each week, because it really is a very challenging, vocally challenging role. Uh, also in the cast was Steve Barton and Mary Miller as Madame Giry, the fabulous Mary Miller, and Rosemary Ash as Carlotta. When the show transferred to Broadway, and it opened on the 26th of January 1988, Michael Crawford, Sarah Brightman and Steve Barton all reprised their roles. And they were joined this time by the wonderful Judy Kay as Carlotta. And uh, again, a fantastic, fantastic casting, really. The Broadway production was nominated for 10 Tonys and won seven of them, including Best Musical, Best Original Score, Best Direction for Hal Prince, uh, Best Featured Actress in a Musical, which was Judy Kay as Carlotta, uh, and best performance by a leading actor in a musical, of course, Michael Crawford. And uh, the show just has gone on to be incredibly successful, being the longest running show on Broadway and the second longest running show after Les Miserables in the UK. There was a film in 2004, which had actually always been talked about. There was an original discussion back in 1990 about Michael Crawford and Sarah Brightman starring in a film, but it took 14 years before the film was produced by Warner Brothers. And it was a box office disappointment, really. Um, there are some beautiful shots. It, it can look amazing when you watch it. But the cast were underwhelming, really, with Gerard Butler as the Phantom and Emmy Rossum as Christine. Uh, Patrick Wilson sang well in the show as Raoul, and he's good on the recording, but he's a bit wooden in his acting. Uh, the lovely, uh, very funny and lively Carlotta was played by Minnie Driver, and I think, for me, she was the highlight of the film, although her singing voice was dubbed by Margaret Priest. The chandelier, of course, is part of the spectacle of this show. And in the West End original production, the chandelier, which comes crashing down, almost uh, hitting the audience in the stalls, actually had 6,000 beads and weighs one ton. And the chandelier in the film had 20,000 crystals and weighed 2.2 tonnes. Wow, amazing, isn't it? Uh, there was a production in Las Vegas called Phantom, the Las Vegas Spectacular, and I was so lucky because the show ran for five and a half years in Vegas, and I saw it twice during that time. 
and uh, I was lucky to see the gorgeous and fantastic Sierra Boggis as Christine Daae and the magnificent Anthony Crivello as the Phantom. And we then had to celebrate the 25th anniversary, a wonderful Royal Albert Hall concert version uh, in October 2011 with a great cast. Ramin Karimlu, who stars as the Phantom. And interestingly, Ramin was in the film, the 2004 film, as uh, Christine Daae's father, which is funny. Um, I'd never really spotted that, so look out for him. And also in the 25th anniversary was the gorgeous Sierra Boggis. And Ramin Karimlu and Sierra Boggis, of course, both went on then to star in the sequel to Phantom of the Opera, Love Never Dies, which opened on the 9th of March 2010 at the Adelphi Theatre in the West End of London. And this was written by Andrew Lloyd Webber with Ben Elton, Frederick Forsyth and Glenn Slater. Now, this show received mixed reviews, but it did run for over 17 months. However, it's never made its way to Broadway. I think maybe one day it will. I actually really enjoyed Love Never Dies and I thought the performances from Ramin Karimlu and Sierra Boggis were absolutely wonderful. Uh, when Ramin sings the song, Till I Hear You Sing Again, it absolutely sends shivers through my spine. It's so gorgeous and his voice is incredible. Um, but it's Phantom of the Opera here that is the absolute masterpiece. And I do want to see this show again. It's actually the show that I have seen more times live on stage than any other musical apart from Les Miserables. And when I go back to see this show, though, I am a little bit nervous because there has been a whole conversation going on around what's going to be returning when the theatre opens later this year. And there have been differences of um, information, shall we say, being received from Andrew Lloyd Webber and Cameron McIntosh. My understanding is that Andrew Lloyd Webber said the original Phantom production would return. But in reality, that's not going to be the case. It's going to be the 2020 UK touring production. Now, that's fine because I'm sure that the production is absolutely fantastic, but it's not the same production. So I'm not sure how they're going to get around. Will they still say 36 years, 37 years, 38 years in the West End? I don't think they can, can they? Surely they now have to start with the first year of the new production. We'll see. Um, but it will still be beautiful. Sadly, the orchestra has been reduced by half the size again um, from Cameron McIntosh's camp here. So there's certainly a feeling of this doesn't seem right and we'll see what happens as the production returns. But I'm not going to let that affect the fact that I absolutely love this show. It's a gorgeous, romantic, beautiful story with incredible music and Andrew Lloyd Webber, well done. Now, in 1977, when I was just 15 years old, 
Walt Disney Company released a new live-action and animated musical fantasy film, The Wonderful Pete's Dragon, starring Australian singer Helen Reddy as the lead role of Nora. And it tells the story of a young boy, Pete, played by a very likeable Sean Marshall, and his imaginary dragon, Elliot. And it's just a great uh, comedy film. It has a fabulous cast, including Shelley Winters, Red Buttons, Mickey Rooney, and the super-talented Jim Dale, who has a, a huge number of musicals linked to his career, actually. In 1980, he won the Tony Award for his performance as P.T. Barnum in the Broadway production of Psychoman's Barnum. And he also starred in a United States tour of The Music Man. He was in Me and My Girl. He played Fagin in Oliver in the West End in 1995. He took over the role. He starred in Candide in 1997. Loads of work from the wonderful Jim Dale. And the composers of the music were Al Kasher, who wrote the music, and Joe Hershorn, who wrote the lyrics. And in fact, they also worked on the stage production of Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. The, the film that year was nominated for two Academy Awards including Best Musical Scoring, and the score was composed by Erwin Costal, and Best Song, Candle on the Water, which I love. I played this, um, my vinyl uh, soundtrack constantly, and Helen Reddy singing Candle on the Water was just gorgeous. And it was a shock, really, when I bought the film on VHS a few years later, that they'd actually removed the song from that, but it's back in again now when you watch it on DVD or on Disney+. Plus. Um, a, a really great, lovely film. And uh, if you ever go to Disney World in Florida, um, they used to have an electric light parade at night time, which I believe might be coming back. And one of my favourite parts of the electric light parade was this huge dragon of Elliot lit up in beautiful coloured lights and young Pete sitting on the top waving to everybody. There we go, Pete's dragon. Okay, so I'm going to try and sum up the musical theatre career of a living legend, a musical theatre icon, somebody that I just love, the one and only Bernadette Peters. Hooray! Of course, we have to give a special mention to Bernadette. What a talent. Critically acclaimed, she's been nominated for seven Tony Awards, winning two and actually uh, receiving an honorary uh, mention, a Tony Award for her achievements in musical theatre as well. She's been described as an ageless adorable and I just think she's fantastic. I was very lucky actually a couple of years ago to see her in concert when she came to the UK and uh, as always with her performances she has such an emotional connection to the music and the lyrics that she moves you to tears. 
So let's have a look and see what we can find for Bernadette. Well, of course, she was a very, very young girl, only three and a half when she appeared on television for the first time, thanks to her mum. And aged 10 when she appeared on Broadway for the first time. This was in the first Broadway revival of Frank Lesser's The Most Happy Fella in 1959. She played one of the children, Tessie. And famously, she tells of how she actually was in the second national tour of Gypsy when she was aged 13, playing one of the Hollywood blondes and understudying the role of Dainty June, which she did actually go on to play the year after when uh, she was performing in Summerstock. She did quite a number of shows in Summerstock. She was first properly noticed in 1968 in the Broadway musical tribute to George M. Cohan when she played his sister Josie with Joel Grey as Cohan. I found the CD of this show actually a year or so ago in a charity shop, a thrift shop, and uh, didn't realise that Bernadette Peters was in the cast. Well, of course, as soon as her voice comes on and she's a young girl, you know instantly that this is the same person that's going to go on to be this icon of musical theatre. And it's a really great um, cast recording, actually. So um, if you can find it, George M. Cohan. Uh, Bernadette was in the off-Broadway show Dames at Sea and uh, a mega flop, La Strada. In 1971, though, she got her first Tony nomination for a revival of On the Town, and she starred as Hildy. And I have talked about On the Town in my Letter O podcast. In 1974, she played the part of Mabel Normand in the musical of Mac and Mabel, opposite the fantastic Robert Preston. And whilst this show was a failure, really, she was incredible. And her singing on the song, Look What Happened to Mabel, I just love listening to her performing that. Um, and she received her second Tony nomination, but the show didn't do well. And so... For a while then, in the 1970s, she kind of focused more on film and television and was on the TV a lot. Famously, in 1977, she had a guest starring role on The Muppet Show as herself. And in 1981, she starred in the film version of Pennies from Heaven, along with Madeleine Kahn and Scott Bakula, and it was in 1982, of course, that she starred in the first film adaptation of Charles Strauss's Annie, the musical um, about orphan Annie, with Aileen Quinn as Annie and Tim Curry as Rooster, Carol Burnett as Miss Hannigan. In 1984, she starred as Dot Marie in Stephen Sondheim's Sunday in the Park with George. This opened on Broadway on the 2nd of May, 1984, and she received her third Tony nomination for her performance in this show. 
Sunday in the Park with George is a show that considers the nature of art, love and life. And it really is an intensely personal exploration, I suppose, of the blood, sweat and tears that were shed by Stephen Sondheim himself. He has said of this show that it is an aural equivalent of Seurat's colour scheme. Of course, George Seurat, who painted Sunday Afternoon on the Island of the Grand Jet in 1884, and the stories about his painting and the music is kind of the staccato accompaniment echoing Seurat's technique of pointillism. It really is uh, an unusual show and it was presented the first time by Bernadette Peters and Mandy Patinkin just as a one-act play off-Broadway uh, and it took a while before the show was in its full format of two acts. Um, the show was directed and the book written by James Lapine, Sondheim's collaborator, and actually, James Lapine, interestingly, has also collaborated with another composer, William Finn, on two musicals, the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee and Little Miss Sunshine, both great shows. And finally, Bernadette won her first Tony Award for the leading role in Andrew Lloyd Webber's Song and Dance on Broadway in 1985. Hallelujah! Why did it take so long? And uh, of course, this is in the show in two parts. The song part being Tell Me on a Sunday, which opened in the West End with Marty Webb in the lead role. She went on, Bernadette, to more success with another Tony nomination for her performance of The Witch in Stephen Sondheim's Into the Woods in 1987. And Sondheim did say of Bernadette, quote, Bernadette is flawless as far as I'm concerned. Well, imagine somebody saying that about your performances. Uh, and so she starred in more shows and concerts, including The Goodbye Girl. She was in a benefit concert of Anyone Can Whistle. And she then uh, won her second Tony Award in 1999 as the sharpshooter Annie Oakley in the revival of Annie Get Your Gun. And uh, of course, she was on a roll then. She got another Tony nomination in 2003 for her performance as Mama Rose in Gypsy. And it was kind of like a career had come full circle then because, of course, 42 years before that, she'd been uh, in the uh, Hollywood Blondes and understudying Dainty June. The critics commented on how totally different Bernadette Peters' performance as Mama Rose was from the original production with Ethel Merman. And this was a significant time and change for this show because from then on, performances have kind of shown Mama Rose in a very different, darker way than was originally performed. Over the years, I've watched Bernadette Peters in TV shows such as Ally McBeal back in 2001, Ugly Betty, and in the 2012 
TV series Smash, where she was in six episodes as Megan Hilty's mum, and uh, she was amazing in that show. And she's done so many concerts and performances and tributes and lent her voice in films, including the 1997 Anastasia and also 97 Beauty and the Beast sequel, The Enchanted Christmas. And in 2010, she was back on Broadway, this time in the revival of A Little Night Music. She replaced Catherine Zeta-Jones, who had started the role, originated the role on Broadway. And I actually had seen this show in its West End production prior to transferring to Broadway in June of 2009 with the incredible Hannah Waddingham uh, and uh, Alexander Hansen, Maureen Lippmann, Kaisa Hammerlund and Jesse Buckley. This was a great production and I was so pleased to have seen it before it went to Broadway. Bernadette was in Follies at the Kennedy Centre in 2011 as Sally Durant Plummer and then it transferred to Broadway. And most recently, she did a six-month run in the 2017 revival of Hello, Dolly. She replaced Bette Midler. And Bernadette Peters really is still a Broadway favourite leading lady even after more than 50 years in the business. She deserves her place in the A to Z of musicals and her status as a musical theatre legend. Bernadette Peters. Now, I think the most exciting collaboration in recent years has been between the two young composers and lyricists, Benj Pasek and Justin Paul. Uh, Benj normally writes the lyrics, Justin usually writes the music, but they like to share credit and all credit to them for doing that really. They started working together when they were at university, at the University of Michigan, and they actually wrote a song cycle that they called Edges, which was about moving into adulthood. And this was premiered in Ann Arbor in Michigan in 2005. And that was their first uh, composing work. But they've gone on to work in musical theater, film and television. And they've done some incredible work. They have contributed to a show called White Noise, a cautionary musical. They premiered their own musical adaptation of James and the Giant Peach in 2010 and they had success with the musical Dogfight where they wrote the music and lyrics. This was based on a 1991 film and it premiered off-Broadway, was directed by Joe Mantello who would of course directed Wicked and a revival of Assassins and had choreography by the hugely talented Christopher Gitelli who has choreographed Chess, Hair, Sunday in the Park with George, the 2008 revival, South Pacific, and magnificently choreographed Muses, as well as the 2015 King and I. Uh, and Dogfight actually had its European premiere at the Southwark Playhouse in London, at the Off West End, in 2004, with Jamie Muscato leading the cast.
Pasek and Paul wrote A Christmas Story, the musical, which was their version of the 1983 comedy film, which is a really great nostalgic film. And it opened on Broadway after a tour. It opened in 2012 and actually Caroline O'Connor was in the original Broadway cast. Pasek and Paul have written songs for season two of the NBC television hit Smash in 2013. But of course, their biggest musical theatre hit to date was the hugely successful Dear Evan Hansen. And this was actually inspired by the death of a fellow student when Benj Pasek was in high school. And the two of them composed this incredible score which opened and premiered in Washington DC in July 2015 with Ben Platt in the lead role of Evan Hansen. The show then had an off-Broadway run for in March 2016 leading to a transfer to Broadway in November 2016 and of course this show has gone on to be hugely successful not just in uh, America but around the world. It was nominated for nine Academy Awards and won six including Best Musical, Best Original Score for Pasek and Paul, Best Book of a Musical by Stephen Levinson and Best Actor Ben Platt and it's been announced just this week actually that the film of the film adaptation of Dear Evan Hansen will be released on the 24th of September this year, 2021, with Ben Platt reprising the role. And he'll be joined by the incredible actors Amy Adams and Julianne Moore. And Pasek and Paul have written two new songs for the film, although some of the songs from the stage show have been cut. I do look forward to seeing that. I was really lucky to see this on stage in the West End before the lockdown. I actually went on New Year's Eve in 2019 and it was such a great show to see that day. Truly heartbreaking. There wasn't a dry eye in the house and we saw the incredible Sam Tutty uh, as Evan Hansen and of course he won the Olivier Award for Best Leading Actor in a Musical for that brilliant performance. Pasek and Paul have had great success as well in recent years with film music. They wrote the lyrics for the music for the comedy film La La Land and the music was written by Justin Hurwitz. And of course, they shared the win of an Academy Award for Best Original Song city of stars in 2017 of course we had the release of the unbelievably successful and popular the greatest showman which is a musical uh, storytelling of pt barnum we've already of course had the Coleman musical barnum and this brought a whole new slant to it and pasik and paul wrote the songs for this film and were nominated for Best Original Song at the 90th Academy Awards that year for the brilliant song, This Is Me. And finally, 
Um, they have written the lyrics for two new songs for the 2019 Disney film, the live-action remake of Aladdin, and apparently are currently working on the songs for an upcoming live-action remake of Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and I really look forward to seeing that. So, Benj, Pasek and Justin Paul, definitely worth a mention. Now, during the first lockdown, I did a poll on Twitter asking people to name their favourite musicals. And one that came up that I didn't really know, I'd heard of, but that was all, was Pacific Overtures. And this is one of Stephen Sondheim's most challenging works. Challenging from the sense of putting on a production also from an audience point of view on paper it seems an unlikely subject for a musical this was an experiment if you like by stephen sondheim and the librettist john weedman and producer hal prince to musicalize the westernization of japan you can see a challenge and it's partly a tribute to heiku poetry and Japanese Kabuki Theatre. Um, the show opened on the 11th of January 1976 on Broadway following a tryout in Boston and it ran for 193 performances which is just over five months. It received mixed reviews but actually in spite of that was nominated for 10 Tony Awards winning two, although the two that it won weren't about the story or the music. Uh, in fact, costume designer Florence Klotz won one of them for best costume design, and I do talk about her during my Letter K um, podcast, if you want to go and listen to that. The other person who won a Tony for Pacific Overtures was the scenic designer Boris Aronson and he actually won Tony Awards for the 1967 production of Cabaret, 1969 Zorba, 1971 Company and 1972 Follies as well as for Pacific Overtures. Uh, considering I didn't know this score before, I have listened to it a lot and there's some beautiful music, including the wonderful song, Someone in a Tree. The cast from this original production was all Asian and it was a stunning production. And there have been a number of subsequent revivals and productions around the world. There was a small off-Broadway revival in 1984 that actually received better reviews than the original. The European premiere was in my hometown of Manchester in 1986, the Library Theatre Company production at the Withenshaw Forum Theatre. And in America, there was the Broadway revival 2004, which I believe was a captivating production. It only had a limited run of 69 performances, but it had B.D. Wong as the reciter, the kind of narrator character. Now, he made his Broadway debut 
1988 in M Butterfly opposite John Lithgow and won a Tony Award for that. And he also was in the Broadway revival of You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown in 1999, playing the part of Linus. Um, the 2004 production of Pacific Overtures also had Paolo Montalban, who has starred in the Rodgers and Hammerstein TV adaptation of Cinderella, along with Whitney Houston and Brandy. The most recent revival was in 2017 with George Takei and Anne Harada. And this was a, a revised book production. In fact, it only ran for 90 minutes as opposed to the original two hours and 30 minutes. So there you go, Pacific Overtures, another letter P show. The next musical beginning with a letter P is Parade. This opened on Broadway on the 17th of December 1998 and it has music and lyrics written by Jason Robert Brown. In fact, this was his first Broadway production. Book by Alfred Urey and the show was co-conceived and directed by Hal Prince. And in fact, Hal Prince had asked Stephen Sondheim originally if he would write the score, but Sondheim had turned him down. And that's when he approached Jason Robert Brown. Now, Jason Robert Brown has gone on to have huge success off-Broadway and on-Broadway. In 1995, the Songs for a New World song cycle, uh, the famous the Last Five Years, which opened on Broadway in 1998. Urban Cowboy, 13. The Bridges of Madison County, the musical adaptation of that wonderful book and film. That opened in 2014 on Broadway. Uh, also production of Honeymoon in Vegas, which starred the TV comedic actor Tony Danza and Rob McClure opening on Broadway in 2015. So, you know, a busy man, Jason Robert Brown, since Parade. The book of Parade, written by Alfred Uri, well, he was already well-established writing screenplays for films. In fact, one of my favourite films from the 1980s, Mystic Pizza, was co-written by Alfred Uri. And in 1988... He won the Pulitzer Prize for Dramatic Writing for Driving Miss Daisy. So a fantastic team. And Parade is a true story of the falsely accused factory worker, Leo Frank. And he was accused of rape and murdering a 13-year-old girl, Mary Fagan, in the uh, town of Atlanta, Georgia, in 1913 and the story unfolds and tells the trial of this Jewish factory manager Leo Frank and his wife Lucille Frank and how she stands by him and changes really throughout the story their relationship grows from a cold um, married relationship to one of genuine love and warmth and it's a terrible miscarriage of justice this show is absolutely brilliant. I saw a production actually in 2016 at the Hope Mill Theatre in Manchester and it was the first production that the Hope Mill Theatre 
did. It was absolutely phenomenal with Tom Lloyd as Leo Frank and Laura Harrison as Lucille. The score has the beautiful songs, The Old Red Hills of Home, All the Wasted Time, You Don't Know This Man. It really is just gorgeous. And in fact, the score won a Tony Award for Best Original Score back in uh, 1998, along with uh, a second Tony win for Best Book of a Musical for Alfred Urey. In fact, Alfred Urey had a knowledge of the Leo Frank case because his uncle in real life owned the actual pencil factory that Leo Frank managed. The original Broadway cast of Parade included Brent Carver, who had starred in the 1993 production of Kiss of the Spider Woman and actually won the Tony for Best Leading Actor in a Musical that year. And also it starred Carolee Carmelo as Lucille Frank and she's a three-time Tony-nominated actress and won the Drama Desk Award for Outstanding Actress in a Musical for her performance in uh, Parade. She's had an incredible career, Carolee Carmelo, and uh, she made her Broadway debut in City of Angels, but she starred in shows like Sister Act, The Adams Family, Chess, Falsettos, 1776, The Scarlet Pimpernel, Kiss Me Kate, You're in Town, Mamma Mia, at the recent revival of Hello Dolly, she was a replacement, and she was nominated for a Tony for her performance in Lestat. I've only seen uh, Carolee Carmelo once on stage, but I was so thrilled to see her in the 2015 Finding Neverland when I was visiting Broadway. Absolutely brilliant. Also, interestingly, in the original Broadway cast of Parade was Rob Ashford, who was one of the ensemble. And he then went on in 2007 to direct and choreograph the famous Donmar Warehouse production, which opened on the 14th of September 2007, starring Bertie Carvel as Leo and Lara Pulver as Lucille, along with Joanna Kirkland, Norman Bowman, Stuart Matthew Price, a brilliant production. And there is a fantastic Donmar Warehouse cast recording for you to listen to. Now, I do want to mention another adaptation of a Charles Dickens novel, this time Pickwick the Musical, based on Dickens' 1837 novel, The Pickwick Papers, or its full title, Posthumous Papers of the Pickwick Club. And this show was written, book by Wolf Mankiewicz, lyrics by Leslie Brickus, and music by Cyril Ornadel. And Cyril Ornadel was uh, a musical director in the West End and did write some of his own, composed some of his own musicals. Another Dickens novel, Great Expectations, and the classic Treasure Island as well. Well, this production of Pickwick the Musical opened in Manchester, actually, at the Palace Theatre on the 3rd of June, 1963, and then transferred to the West End in July of 63, and it ran for 694 performances, 
and it tells the story of the joyously eccentric Mr Pickwick Esquire, played brilliantly by the British entertainer Harry Seacombe. And uh, one of Harry Seacombe's most famous songs that stuck with him through the rest of his lifetime came from this show, If I Rule the World. And actually the song did win an Ivor Novello Award as well. The original cast of Pickwick in Manchester and the West End, as well as Harry Seacombe, included Anton Rogers, Norman Rossington and Teddy Green, directed by Peter Coe and choreographed by the wonderful Gillian Lynn, with scenic design by Sean Kenny. And of course, Sean Kenny had actually won a Tony Award for his designs on the original production of Oliver. Um, the show then went to Broadway in October 1965, which is interesting because Oliver had only just finished its run there the year before. Uh, but sadly, it didn't run for very long this time, just 56 performances. But it did manage to get four Tony nominations for Harry Seacombe, Charlotte Ray and Roy Castle for their performances and Sean Kenny for his scenic designs. Again, Gillian Lynn choreographed and Peter Coe directed. In 1969, the BBC made a television movie of Pitwick starring Harry Seacombe and Roy Castle. I've never actually seen this. I'm not even sure now if it's available. So in fact, I'm going to go straight away after this and check on YouTube. Then in 1993, there was a brand new production from the 7th of July at the Chichester Festival Theatre, which is one of my favourite venues, actually. It's a wonderful theatre. And this show broke box office records at the time at the Chichester Festival Theatre. And it then led to a transfer to London and followed with a UK tour. And there is a wonderful recording of this cast, including Harry Seacombe, Ruth Maddock, Glyn Houston, Alexandra Bastido, Roy Castle. Now, Alexandra Bastido, when I noticed her name in the um, cast, that really excited me because when I was a young boy, one of my absolute favourite TV shows, and I know my dad loved this too, was The Champions. And Alexandra Bastido, British actress, played Sharon McCready, and this was a 1968 TV show in the UK. Um, so definitely, if you've never seen it, track that down. It was such a brilliant show. So there we go. A quick mention of Pickwick the Musical. OK, now the musical with the most Tony Awards ever is the 2001 Broadway production of The Producers directed by Susan Stroman, music and lyrics and book by Mel Brooks and Thomas Meehan worked on the book as well. And this show absolutely swept the board at the 2001 Tony Awards. It was nominated for 15 and won 12. And the only reason it couldn't win 15 was because some of the actors, there were two people nominated for Best Actor, two people nominated for Best Featured Actor as well. But it did have the most incredible 
reaction and response. And it had started out as a non-musical film in 1968, directed and screenplay written by Mel Brooks. And it was hugely controversial because of the uh, content, particularly the famous springtime for Hitler sequences. And of course, in the film, we had Gene Wilder as Leo Bloom and Zero Mostel as the producer, Max Bialystok. And when the show went to Broadway, we had the fantastic pairing of Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick. And they had actually worked together previously on the making of the Disney animated classic, The Lion King. And so the show went on to win all of these amazing Tony Awards, including Best Musical, Best Book, Best Original Score, Leading Actor Nathan Lane, Featured Actor Katie Huffman. Now, Katie Huffman plays the part of Ula, and her full name is always one that makes me laugh, so let me have a go. Ula Inga Hansen Benson Janssen, Talon Hallens Faden Swanson Bloom. <laughs> it surely gets the bloom at the end of the show. And uh, the show is just a really, really great success. It's so funny. It opened in the West End, and I was lucky to see that production, this time with um, Lee Evans as Leo Bloom. Nathan Lane did start off in the uh, West End, but by the time I saw it, it was Corey English, and he was absolutely fantastic as well. Uh, I saw... Uh, a wonderful tour in the UK with Peter Kay, the really popular comedian in the role of Roger Debris. And most recently, I saw a production at the Royal Exchange in Manchester, which I have to say was hysterically funny and so well produced. In 2005, the producers was made into a film. So here's an interesting one. We had a non-musical film that became a musical on stage that became a, a musical film. And uh, the film was directed by Susan Stroman, who of course had worked on the original stage production. And she has got such a huge list of credits to her name, actually making a Broadway debut in a musical called Whoopi in 1979. And then as a choreographer on shows like Flora the Red Menace, The Revival, Crazy For You, Showboat. Uh, and then in London, she worked on Oklahoma and uh, the 2010 production of The Scottsboro Boys, which was the Candor and Ebb final production that they worked on together. And just a fantastic uh, director, Susan Stroman. So there you go, just a quick mention of the mega award-winning The Producers. Now we've got magic to do with our next musical, the absolutely dazzling Pippin. And I've seen two productions of this, actually two totally different productions. And Stephen Schwartz, the composer and lyricist for Pippin, has said, Pippin lends itself to directorial interpretation. Well, he couldn't be more right because the productions that I've seen have been so completely different. I didn't see the original Broadway production from 1972 or the Broadway mega revival that came along 
in 2013, and I'll talk about those in a moment, but I did see the Menier Chocolate Factory production uh, in November of 2011. Well, first of all, the Menier Chocolate Factory is the most amazing theatrical experience. It's such a great place to see any show. It's the very first time I went to this theatre and fell in love with it. it. had a brilliant cast, including the original Eponine from the 1985 Les Miserables in the West End, Francis Raphael. She was playing Fastrada. And we also had in this production Matt Rawl, who I'd seen originally in Martin Guerre. Uh, it has Ian Kelsey and the gorgeous and super talented Carly Borden, who most recently was in Romantics Anonymous. She's somebody to look out for. She's brilliant. But this production was crazy. Honest to goodness, I didn't have a clue what was going on. It was set inside a computer game. Now, I have to be honest, I wasn't really sure what was happening, but there was something drawing me and the music. Oh my goodness, Stephen Schwartz's music in this show is just phenomenal. And then I saw the 2017 Hope Mill Theatre production. This time it had a kind of Victorian vaudeville setting and it just shows you can kind of play around with the setting of this show. And this production had the wonderful Jonathan Carlton as Pippin and Genevieve Nicole as leading player. And it did so well that it transferred to London to the Southwark Playhouse. Now, of course, it's the original production of Pippin that opened in October 1972 that people talk about. It ran for 1,944 performances and it opened only one year after Stephen Schwartz's other musical Godspell had opened and in fact the two shows were playing simultaneously. Imagine that, he was only 24 years old at this point. Wow, so many shows and we've reached the point where we stop and reflect on who we missed this time with the letter P. And actually there are so many today, we could have probably done two shows. We've not talked about the wonderful Eleanor Parker, who plays Baroness Schrader in um, The Sound of Music film. We've not talked about the incredible composer and uh, conductor Andre Previn. Mandy Patinkin, Hal Prince, Robert Preston. Uh, lots of these people have been talked about throughout the podcast. We've not talked about Promises, Promises, Paint Your Wagon, Pal Joey, The Pajama Game, Porgy and Bess, <gasps> The Prom, Prince of Egypt, Peter Pan. Oh my goodness, so many. I need to just stop and breathe, really. We've talked about it a lot, haven't we? I hope I haven't missed your favourites and I hope you've enjoyed listening. Some of the things we haven't talked about today will get picked up in later episodes, so don't worry. Until next time, everyone, stay safe and have a Doris Day. <laughs>